Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's take a look at the trailer for Only God Forgives. I know it's hard for you, emotionally. Your brother was murdered. When? Yesterday. Did you get the guy that did it? It's a little more complicated than that, Mother. Meaning what exactly? You can't go around killing cops anymore. Return. Your brother would have found you a killer, brought me his head on a platter. He's coming after me next. Please, Julian, protect me. I'm just here for him. But that's not what she said. What did she say? Kill them all. I have a very special relationship with my son. He's a very dangerous boy. You want to fight? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Jason Garasio of VanityFair.com, and tonight's guest, Nicholas Winding Refn. How's everybody doing? Welcome to the AC. Get out of the heat is nice. Nicholas, welcome. Have you been enjoying our heat wave? Uh, well, being from Scandinavia, it's like a furnace for me. <laughs> but it has to give you flashbacks of Bangkok, I would imagine. Well, oddly, th this heat is like... Bangkok at night, so triple it during the day. So it drives you pretty insane. And just one thing we were talking about in the back is how good is Cliff Martinez? That music in the trailer is, is amazing and it gets you very pumped. So there's more of that in the movie, lots more of that. So just wanted to give a shout out to Cliff. Um, I wanted to start with a cool little quote that um, I believe you said it can, which was the Imagination of this movie was uh, a man who believes he's God versus a man who wants to fight him. I need to know more of what that means. Well, I, I, I thought it could be interesting to do a film uh, about a man who has a godlike complex, which is like a very classic Western, American Western archetype, like the sheriff in town. And then you would have a, um, a troublemaker, you know, like Ryan Gosling, who wants to fight him. And, and that, for some reason, just seemed really arousing to me. <laughs> and this film was supposed to be made after Valhalla Rising. Um, obviously, Drive came around, that changed things. Talk a bit of how the film changed from your original idea to after Drive, what it then became? 
Well, I was set to go and make this movie, um, and then I decided first to go to Los Angeles to do a movie with Harrison Ford that never happened. And then I was preparing Only God Forgives after that had fallen apart with Harrison, and I got a call from Ryan, and we met up, and we decided to do Drive, or essentially became the movie Drive. And I knew that then afterwards I would make Only God Forgive. So it was a kind of process where I was preparing it to go, but still other things kept on interfering with it. And then I made Drive knowing that no matter what, back to back, I would go and make Only God Forgives. And I think it helped the film a lot because it almost, you know, in terms of creativity, it's like you're, you, you're developing, but there's never like the right time to let go. And um, after having done Drive, it's almost like I had erased all memory of what my original intention of Only God Forgive was, which was good because then I approached it like a completely opposite direction of having done Drive. So things happen for a reason. And well, it's funny you say that because when you get back to Only God Forgives, your lead actor leaves at like the 11th hour, Ryan comes in. Uh, how then did that character change with Ryan coming on board? What did he bring to it? What would you guys talk about? Well, I, I knew that every actor would play um, this protagonist differently because um, it was very much about interpretation from the performer to actually create the character also. Uh, but I shoot my films in chronologically order, so there's a constant um, everyday inter interaction between where are we heading with the movie and where is the character heading and where are where's the sensibilities. It's like painting a film. Every day is a n with a new color on a canvas that slowly reveals itself. You, you know where you want to go. But getting there is actually where the fun is. And, you know, uh, there are so many similarities to Valhalla Rising with um, Only God Forgives. But with Drive also, and I think you can see it in the trailer too, is it's, it's that tease almost that the film is going to be something and you flip it on us. Um, do you get a kick out of that? Do you like messing with the audience? Well, I, it's not that I intently like messing with the audience, but I do believe that art can be functions best when the kind of when there's a sexualness to it. That that the sense of climax is always more interesting the longer you can prolong it. If that answers the question, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that you've talked about in interviews how you feel this is a, a fetish film or almost like a pinup magazine. Talk a bit about what 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 you mean by that. Well. Um, <laughs> Um, I, I approach thing, I guess, very fetish-oriented, that, that everything becomes very much about what arouses me in a way. And, um, and I've, I, I believe that creativity is interesting when, there's, when you flip both extremes. So a movie like Bronson and Valhalla Rising were made back-to-back, -back, and Drive and Only God Forgives were made back-to-back, -back, and it's a way for me to start one place and then force myself to completely flip the coin somewhere else. And it becomes essentially a form of pornography where it's just all about what turns me on 
and I don't really think about it because there's really no time to do so. So with this film, can we say what turned you on? Was it the fairy tale? Was it Bangkok? Was it the mother-son relationship? <laughs> no, that's not particularly <laughs> erotic, but I, I thought it was interesting that the clenched fist, which is such a dominating symbol in, in violent films or in fight movies or just generally around us, is of course a, a sign of male aggression. It's a very, it's, a, it's, it's an act of violence or violence to possibly be, become, but it's also of course an extension of the male sexuality. It's a ex very powerful phallus symbol. So the idea that that gesture, which we usually connect with fighting movies, is a mixture of sex and violence in its movement, and the idea then that opening of the palm is submission, like a climax, um, that can be pretty interesting <laughs> to think about at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I have to warn everyone that this film has a lot of karaoke in it, so be ready. Uh, at one time, they were supposed to sing country western songs, American country western songs, is that, is that right? Well, I, um, I spent some time in Thailand just in vacation before I came out to the of doing a movie there. And um, I realized uh, I'm not a karaoke guy, I don't sing, I, I can't like deal with that. But and I sense to me that karaoke in the West is very much combined with a kind of relief or alcohol or some kind of a little bit, maneuverism yeah, a little bit. in that. But in Thailand, karaoke is like sacred. You know, it's something they really take great pride in. And there are many clubs of karaoke that, where people book rooms months beforehand because they want to get the best karaoke room. And then they have all night where they just sing songs. And there's very degrees of places to go. But what's odd was that I saw just by chance that there's also a karaoke life at night that starts at midnight and goes to like 5, 6 a.m. in the morning. And there were usually more of these obscure clubs in Chinatown in Bangkok. And a lot of it consisted of Thai Chinese descendants who would be sitting in these all-night bars that looked like something out of a time warp or, or some kind of space travel and they would sing Chinese folk songs. And I thought it was such an interesting image because it's very Thai that one of the main characters would be doing that. And then, you know, I knew nothing of Thai music so I had this idea it was going to be country and western songs because that's what they usually do. But I became more interested in Thai country and western so it quickly took over. In a sense it became more authentic to its culture. And and they're and they're it's it, I mean you make the karaoke scenes powerful because they happen in very important moments. Was was that always the thought process? Yeah, the idea was that through every act of violence there was this act of cleansing. Um, so Ryan did a lot of sparring, a lot of training to prepare for the role, and I'd also read that you were doing sparring too. Well. Uh, I wanted to see what it was like. <laughs> it was very painful. <laughs> Did you do it against him? Are you kidding? <laughs> I kick his ass. No, yeah. uh, so I mentioned Cliff Martinez, um, who's amazing in Drive, and he's amazing in this film with his, with his, with his work. Um, interesting a lot, enough, a little darker in this film than in Drive, if you can imagine that. 
talk about the conversations, because you spent some more time with him on this film than you did with Drive. What were the conversations? What would you guys delve into? How much did you get him involved in just your thought process? Well, I met uh, Cliff uh, very late in Drive when I hired him near the end of, of, of the whole production because we were going into mix. So he only had four weeks to do the music for Drive. But I really liked the collaboration we had. It was very quick and intense. So on Only God Forgives, I really started with giving him the script. We'd we'll talk about what kind of music, because there was going to be a lot of silence. So, uh, and then his knowledge of Thai music actually infiltrated the movie a lot, because there's a certain Thai music called Isan, which is a country western from the northeast part of Thailand that's very significant in Thai culture. So he introduced me to that. and. It was very, um, I loved it. And his soundtrack is fantastic. And you can actually get it on iTunes, so. Was he working on the music while you were shooting or was this all in post or? Uh, we would do some of the ideas beforehand and then uh, in post he would really step in once we started putting the movie together. Because you were using, I believe like Bernard Harmon temp music to fit in for places and we were actually using the day there stood still as a temp score in the editing which turned out to be cliff's favorite soundtrack without me knowing it so but the idea that something unearthly that the movie was about you know you always try to find something that has a resemblance of where you want to take the movie I, I just want to get off Only God Forgives just for a second before we open up the questions um, is Barbarella going to be your next pro project uh, <laughs> well, I really like to do my television show, which mm -hmm. will be Barbarella. Um, so uh, we will see. But I'm, I'm in my high heel fetish moment. So most likely <laughs> it will end up as Barbarella being coming next. And can you just tell everyone just the, because at first it was a feature length film, and at least that's what we read, and now it's going to be TV. What was the motivation behind? moving it, why is TV the best medium for it? Well, when I was approached by the right holders to go into, um, um, to take it to television, I had an idea, they wanted to do it as a feature, because that was the original idea, but I said, I don't want to do the first movie. I like to do, take the comic book material and their goal and do a television show based on that, because I find television a very interesting medium at the moment, the way it's developing and the speed of its creativity. And that was kind of my take on it, and so television it became. Let's go with the first clip. That is the dinner scene. Do you want to set this up, or let's just... Well, this scene is, comes with a movie with every man's worst nightmare, which is introducing their girlfriend to their mother. So, tell me, Mai, what line of work are you in? I'm an entertainer. An entertainer? And how many cocks can you entertain with that cute little cum dumpster of yours? What do you think of his line of work? 
I'm not talking about the fag boxing club. I'm talking about where the money comes from. You know what he does, right? He deals drugs, May. Heroin, cocaine. That's where the money comes from. That's how he can afford to pay you to fuck him. Oh, great. I'll get the crab, he'll have the spicy chicken, and May here will have a salad with a dressing on the side. It's May. Yeah, I'm sorry. I apologize for my behavior. It's just that I'm a, a little upset. I have lost my first son. I'm sorry for that. Thank you. It's good to know someone cares. Because I swear to God, sometimes I think Julian hated Billy. Maybe hate is the wrong word. But you were always jealous of him. You know the way boys are, May. Competitive. Well, with Billy being the older brother and having a bigger cock, it's a... Julian's was never small, but Billy's was, oh, it was enormous. How can you compete with that? Billy was everything Julian wanted to be. Is that not true? Because let me tell you, if the tables were turned, your brother would have found you a killer and brought me his head on a fucking platter. And you just sit there thinking he got what he deserved. Fuck you. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Do you mind if I smoke? Before the next clip, do you want to say anything about Kristen Th Scott Thomas? Well, she's a force of nature. I mean, <laughs> uh, I, um, I, um, I was casting unknown actresses at the time because I, I made this film for very little money and I didn't want to do any hassles with celebrities or whatever. But I couldn't find anyone, and the casting director said, why didn't you try Kirsten Scott Thomas? And I was like, well, she's my mother's favorite actress. I can't do that, not for this. <laughs> but there was really no one else that would have all the elements that the character needed. So I caved in, and I, we approached her, and she wanted to meet. And so I met with her in Paris, and she's everything you expect her to be, of course. Dazzling, you know, aristocratic, kind, very British, a little sexually repressed, things like that. Um, but I also <laughs> realized she has no problem turning on the bitch switch. So uh, we very quickly saw eye to eye on 
you know, making a movie together. So let's do the next clip. Um, I don't even know if we want to intro this. I just feel like I, it should um, just, just you, happen. You're the man. I think we should just make it happen, and then we'll do questions. His name escapes me, but the villain, uh, he's great in this. Where did uh, where'd you find him? Well, his Thai name is Vitaya. It's always hard to remember all these. They have these, like, nicknames because you can't pronounce their names. Uh, but we finally learned it was Vitaya. Um, I found him at an open casting call in Bangkok. He came in. He was in his 50s, had never really acted a lot. But he was very calm and very frightening at the same time. And he was everything I didn't think the character would be. So therefore, he was interesting. So I think now we will open it up to questions. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Ms. Reffern, for speaking with us. I had a question. Um, everyone's been talking about this film mainly because of its possibly offensive and extremely gratuitous use of karaoke. Um, no violence. And I'm curious, you know, this looks more like Bronson than anything I've seen, you know, recently. What do you personally find attractive to all the violence? Um, it's just that idea of the character trying to prove himself sort of through violence from what I've seen in past films. Like, 
do you consider it like a personal fetish even just to see that violence i mean why do you like showing it so much i mean i um i gave up a long time trying to figure out why i do what i do other than there's great pleasure in the act of doing it and violence is in a way act art's an act of violence it's meant to violate you and penetrate you but it's not meant to destroy you it's meant to inspire you and um, I just look at all films that I like as an act of violence a bit like a painting or a piece of music could equally much be as violating and to our senses but of course movies are very much about images which imprints us with logic but I don't see myself as a violent filmmaker and I certainly don't like violence I mean look at me I, I would die if somebody even pushed me around uh, so I don't know but I also know that there's a certain psychic in everyone's fetish of violence there's an outlet for most people in violent images so it is very much within us somewhere thanks um, thank you for coming and talking um, so your writing process um, as I don't know you said in the past is sort of uh, you know, nebulous and um, uh, there's like an improvisation to it, you know. And I'm wondering when you get on set, you have these very articulate images. I'm wondering how much of that um, plays into the actual production. You know, how, how once you're shooting it, how improvised things are, you know, if you storyboard or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I don't storyboard. Um, I, uh, when I, I mean, I work with, with very little budget so there's not a lot of time so it's very much we get to set um, we I block it out with the with the actors where they feel comfortable in terms of their performance which is essential for them to express their emotions and then I just shoot it as if I was shooting a pinup magazine have you always shot your films in the chronological order, and could you expand on uh, what you think that brings to the movie as a final piece? Um, it's something I've always done ever since I started making films. It's a great way to see the movie unfold organically in terms of how it maneuvers and how it almost wants to be told. You can add, you can change, you can subtract, and there's a sense that I like of the unknown that you know where you want to get to, but actually the most enjoyable part is not what's there, but it's how you get to it and what you will discover along the way that you can add into the final product. So I very much like the sense of not knowing until I know, which is it's a very famous Sherlock Holmes quote saying, no other options have been executed, whatever's left is the right one. And there's a great creative pleasure in going down that route for me. For the actors, of course, it's fantastic because there's no need of always having to be mechanical about their performances. It's very much like we start, we end, and then we just continue. It can also be frightening because it's an ocean of possibilities. You can only prepare so much because that, it's going to change a lot at the same time. 
Um, so it's also a process where you have to include everybody creatively. Almost they have to submit themselves to the process. And you do that by involving them in a, in, in a question every day, which is, what would you like to do today? Automatically, they submit to the process. And then from then on, it's when the creativity really kicks in. Hi. Um, I'm just curious, how do you feel about Lars von Trier? And if you have any, if he's influenced you in any way? And if so, how? Uh, well, I very much like Lars. Um, uh, my father works with him a lot. He, he edits his movies. So I kind of know everything there is to know about Lars. So it's not that cool. Uh, but I have great admiration. I think he's a wonderful force of creativity. How is it that you try and develop this sort of richness that feeds itself into the movie visually and uh, just an ethos, I suppose? Well, I like going to places that are out of my comfort zone for reasons that it helps the creativity, I feel. It's like you're forced to watch everything in a different way, being a stranger in a strange land. Like going to LA to do drive in our city, I knew nothing of other than the mythology of it, and I, couldn't, and I don't drive a car. So you're automatically forced to look at things in a different way. And that I find very inspiring being at that moment. Uh, Bangkok, same thing. I don't understand the language. The culture is so far removed from my understanding as a Westerner and having to indulge in Thai mystery and, 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 and religion and superstition is again like traveling into the unknown. And I like it. I find that very creative. And it's not that I have an agenda what I need to obtain. I just like, again, I like, I very much get high on the process. The end result has no interest for me. I mean, I never watch my films <clears throat> when they're done. I've been forced to twice because at Cannes they force you to sit through them. I don't enjoy it. And I can't get the fuck out of there fast enough afterwards. But the process is what, it's a bit like having sex. Afterwards, you just really want to hang out by yourself, you know? Um, you may have just answered this, but I've, there's very little dialogue in your movies, and I would imagine that your scripts are extremely carefully planned out. Uh, but I'm wondering if there's ever been a time, either during shooting or during post, where you felt that you've needed to add more dialogue, or there's just something that's not being expressed without additional dialogue. I've never had this need of adding dialogue. <laughs> um, I've always been about taking it away. Um, but I, I really like, see, when you take away dialogue, um, don't forget dialogue came very late in film invention. You know, for 10, 20 years, there was no dialogue in cinema. And then it came. But I, I really like the sense of sometimes removing dialogue to even force myself creatively to find other solutions. It's, it's, um, it becomes pure visuals and it's, in a way you become more, you're more dependent on other tools that has nothing to do with the process of performance but it's more the process of mechanics like music or images or sound are more mechanical devices, so it's a bit like more like painting, for example, where it becomes more mechanical needs around you. 
Hi. Um, I was just wondering how your relationship with the production designer changed and developed since you had also worked with her on Drive and since she took on extra responsibilities in terms of wardrobe and hair and makeup. Um, I, um, when I went to Bangkok, I had you know, very little money, so I didn't want to bring anybody in. So I was looking for Thai crew, except I was going to bring a, 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 a photographer called Larry Smith with me. But I couldn't find a production designer that would, could deliver what, I guess, understand the mode or let alone speak English. So uh, I went up going back to Beth that I had a wonderful relationship on Drive. And then she came over and it was great because there were no unions in Bangkok. So she weren't, there weren't all these problems that she has here. What can she cannot do? And I said, you know, let's just continue and see where we end up. So it kind of worked really well. Um, so both LA and Bangkok lend themselves to different aesthetics and you keep mentioning it's like a painting for you. Um, how much are you manipulating the environment and how much do you find you're surrendering to these different environments? Um, I, I surrender myself completely to the surroundings. I don't try to force anything of mine onto theirs, but I will take what they have and complete fuck it, as much as I can to see what I get out of it. Well, okay. We will end it there. <laughs> uh, Nicholas, thank you. Only God Forgives opens Friday in theaters and VOD and midnight Thursday on iTunes. Thanks, Nicholas. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.